Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the, I guess that's why they call it the Elton John podcast, podcast. It's been exciting um, here at the podcast um, over the last couple of days because I was um, one of the lucky few that was given the opportunity to receive in advance the 10 inch that came out today. Um, the 10-inch single that features the early version of Come Down in Time backed with Ballad of a Well-Known Gun, DJM Demo, as it's described there. A couple of tracks that arguably could have been on the Jewels box, but they decided to bring them out as a standalone companion to um, Tumbleweed Connection on its 50th anniversary. And a couple of things about that. First, what an absolute privilege it has been to be sort of selected in that way it's really amazing and really gratifying um and secondly it's just quite a cool way of doing it i love the fact now that there's this companion for tumbleweed connection a physical item that i can hold in my hand if you don't want to have the physical item you can just have the downloads but yeah it's great that that thing exists i I like their approach they've just said yeah let's get an object that's desirable and let's get it into the hands of the Elton fan. That's the way to do it, I think. And the song itself, Come Down in Time specifically, is quite a revelation. been in this genre before me he's reached it a couple of times i guess obviously in um hey Jude and some improvisations along the way but he's never gone there and stayed there in the way that he does in this jazz version particularly after gus cuts in and ends the first take and then when we get to hear the remnants the end of a previous take underneath that elton's really going for it is uh, sounding very um, jazzy indeed it's got a moon dancey feel to it i suppose this recording and it must have come from that time when they were trying to conceive of a double tumbleweed connection when they were stretching the songs out maybe to see how far they could get them to stretch and it seems like they were going to go with this as well until paul buckmaster came along and requested the opportunity to have a go at arranging the track from the bottom up this was going to be it and i think we would have quite enjoyed it i think having both is the perfect way to be i'm so glad it's a bit weird having gus talking in the middle of a song i'd like to try to edit him out and see whether or not i could do a frankenstein between the two because it does sort of take you out of the moment a little bit but equally it's quite nice to hear gus calling Elton Semprini and being a little bit um, sarcastic. 
And then, well, I hate to say it, but although I've said I love it as a standalone object, equally, I do think that there's some scope at some point in the future for the record label to put together a compilation of all of the different bits of music that have come out under the banner of Tumbleweed Connection. Now, there's obviously the deluxe edition, there's this 10-inch, quite a few tracks are included in the jewels box, and then... Even Rock and Roll Madonna doesn't really belong with the Elton John album. Now we know that it was recorded on the same day as that early Come Down in Time, for example. The 10-inch is still available if you're looking for it, I believe, at the time of talking. I don't know at the time of listening, but it, it was there a couple of minutes ago on the eltonjohn.com shop, bundled with all sorts of other bits of memorabilia. Um, it's well worth a look. And their prices are pretty competitive, I, I was quite surprised. I pre I made a mistake really. I pre-ordered my jewels box with um, Amazon, um, and I kind of wish I hadn't because actually it's the same price at the Elton John website in the UK. I don't know whether or not that's the same um, for American listeners. And they've got some interesting bits and pieces of memorabilia in there. Most interesting for me is the uh, two hundred quid madman across the water embroidered jean jacket it looks amazing but i would look a little bit ridiculous in it i reckon so anyway on to the episode i had to do something to mark tumbleweed's 50th because it's right up there with my favorite elton john albums but i after the elton john um episodes i really didn't want to do a big heavy analysis and anyway i can't do that until i've properly digested john's article which is up there now on the elton john website it's got a load of details and revelations in there that would be very useful um for me putting something together for tumbleweed in the future but this episode is just intended as a bit of fun something to while away the hours um from now until when the uh Jules box comes out and I what, what I thought I'd do is I thought I would put together a YouTube playlist of my favorite covers of the songs from Tumbleweed following the sequenced order of the album and you could do this because most of the tracks from the album have been pretty well covered and it's hardly a surprise because this is probably Elton and Bernie's best received album it's number two on all music behind Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, based on user reviews. It's a work of almost perfection in its own right. But loads of musicians have come along and decided that they love the record just as much as you and I do, but they can have a crack at some of these songs. And so they have. And I haven't actually locked down the track list of this um, playlist at all. So I'm going to do that as I go along in the episode. I'm going to skip through some of the options, talk about what I like or don't like about them, and uh, and then I'm going to make my final decision about what should go on the playlist. And I thought that that way we'd get to hear a few fresh approaches to this set of songs and also have a bit of a think about what it is about the Elton John recordings that makes them so essential since maybe the things that we love about the songs are going to be conspicuous by their absence in some of these covers, which they definitely are. Um, I've got to say a big thank you to my correspondent, John Keane, who was doing exactly the same thing as me at the same time, putting together his own Tumbleweed covers playlist. 
And thanks to the emails that you sent me, I've been able to listen to some versions that I might not otherwise have focused on or found in some cases. Um, off we go then with Ballad of a Well-Known Gun. This is a version released in June 1971 by an American band called Pollution. This came out in June 1971, and the vocalist is Tata Carmen Rosa Vega, and she was from the Broadway production of Hair, and her fellow cast member Dobie Gray is also on the album. Tata later signed to Motown, and she released some albums, and she backed Patti LaBelle, but that's not the main Elton link. Um, she was actually part of Elton's touring band between 2010 and 2015. She uh, did more than 300 gigs with him. And also she was in the studio and she did backing vocals on The Union. So I wonder whether or not they ever spoke about this version. It's such a fun, funky version. I love all these grunts and screams that she puts in. taken some pretty huge liberties with the lyrics here and there um, she does seem to get lost at times in them but all in all I think this is a success this cover is a bit of a favorite of mine and it would be a strong start to the album I reckon I'm not a huge fan of what they did with the solo section though it's just a little bit uninspired and then she she uses that um, you know that sort of sassy arms folded, nodding from side to side when Elton goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, thing. Um, and Elton uses that to mark where halfway through the solo is. Um, she does it, but then they use, like everyone does actually, every single person that does the solo, none of them have the right number of measures in the solo. Um, and it means that I get lost. I get lost. I find it jarring. Um, anyway, Elton's version is really rhythmically interesting and that's one of the things that really stands out between the Olympic version and this new demo that we've got from DJM that was recorded, um, it says in the autumn, it actually says in the fall, in the autumn of 1969. They're kind of flat, they're a bit chuggy, they're more country, they don't have the bounce and the spike that we've got in the released version. Um, and I think a lot of musicians hooked into that weird rhythm that Elton found on the opening track of Tumbleweed. And here's one of them. This is Kate Taylor 
from her album Sister Kate. This was released in January 1971. And I think the magic in this version comes in this sort of slow lope of a groove that they find when they switch to it in the chorus. Have a listen. band here Kate is obviously James Taylor's sister I think it's fair to say that she never really managed to leave his shadow and to find success on her own terms there's also Linda Ronstadt on vocals Um, Danny Kochmar he's a well-known session musician he's on guitar used to be the Fugs and Russ Kunkel he played with the band he's on drums Carol King is on piano and her husband at the time Charles Larkey's on bass and there somewhere in the background on hand claps I think is uh, Peter Asher from Peter and Gordon I quite like the solo in this one I think it's a little bit more organized and structured but still just like the pollution version I get lost because they've not put the right number of measures in speaking of me getting lost when I try to count out um, Ballad of a Well-Known Gun I did this. I found this helpful, this thing I made. Maybe it was just me that struggles to get my head around that piece of what was apparently improvised lunacy anyway there are more covers of this song i need to get on with it and i don't think i've found my version yet next up it's the hayden wood version he's been discussed before on this podcast in episode 18 he was a singer from new zealand he was on the nems label and he covered three elton songs really early on including 60 years on which um, was released as a single in February of 1970, so before Elton released his version of the song. And then his version of Well Known Gun came out on the B-side of a single that was released in New Zealand in August 1970, so again before Elton released his.
yeah, this one's not going on the playlist. It really... It doesn't work. It doesn't need to be this bold and brassy. It just seems to have had all the Americana blasted out of it. And then, on top of that, Hayden's thin, nasal tone isn't helping matters. This is a big no from me. How about this one, though? Johnny Tillotson. rhythmic sophistication of some of the other takes and Elton's take as well um, it's, it's more similar to those early versions but this was released in 72 so um, this was just his style Johnny was a well established act, he'd had a number two hit in the UK with Poetry in Motion in 1960 and this take on the song gives it a bit of old fashioned rock and roll but it's got a country bent and I really like that chugging honky-tonk feel that this version's got and the piano playing is just awesome throughout I tried to work out who it was I couldn't find out I think it's recorded in America this song but yeah this is a solid version and there's no solo here which is probably for the best um, and the whole thing comes in at a very economical 2 minutes 30 here's another one um, this is Silver Meters cover from their self-titled album uh, their only album um, recorded in 1969. I talked about this band in episode 19 their vocalist was the link with Elton Harry Reynolds his name was possibly he knew Elton through Marsha Hunt I'm just sort of guessing there but he was in the hair band um, alongside Marsha and he'd actually worked with Paul Nicholas as early as 1965 so he was part of that little circle which Elton obviously had something to do with in the late 60s um, and then, yeah, he brought three Elton songs to the band. This one, Country Comforts, and 60 Years On, which is the one that I played in episode 19. I played a live version of that. Um, and he also sang backing vocals on Rod's cover of Country Comforts. And it's definitely him. Is the re- he's the reason why Rod ended up with that song. 
So anyway, which is it? I am going to immediately throw out Hayden Woods' version. It's just so overblown and wrong. And I don't much like this silver meter cover. It's quite straight ahead and dull. I like the lurch of the Kate Taylor cover and the general slickness of the whole thing. And then I like the funkiness and the silliness of the pollution cover. But it is a bit sloppy. And then I like this Tillotson version. I like how compact the whole thing feels. So, yeah, now it's time to make a decision. I'm going to go for Kate Taylor. Right, track two. This is one of the jazziest songs in the Elton John songbook. And the uh, new band-only version has only solidified its place uh, as such. And it's also one of Elton's most covered songs. We've got seven covers to go through here, so buckle up. I'm going to start with Lois Lane's cover because of the DJM connection. It came out on DJM and it was produced by Stephen James and arranged by Zach Lawrence. And it came out as the B-side of her single You Are The Reason in 1972. In the quiet silence, can I I turned out the light switch and I came down to meet you in the half light the moon left while I cluster of nine jars sang some songs out of tune. I can't really work out what DJM were planning when they signed Lois, but whatever it was, it doesn't seem to have worked out. This version is a curio, I would say, nothing more. I'm not sure what I think of that cheeky little flattened ninth in the intro. Um, But there are some more tasteful touches in the arrangement from Zach, some nice little surprises there. But all in all, this version is just too loungy for me, and I don't like Lois's phrasing. It's not right for the song. Next up is Judy Collins's cover from her album Bread and Roses in Judy's brought to this song her decorations in the melody and the developments that she does in the melody are really quite good but there is one serious problem with this version and that's the saxophone I don't like saxophone I'm just 
don't really like the tone of it. I find it a bit grating, and I really don't like saxophone solos. So yeah, this this one's got a big black mark against it in my book. The saxophonist is a guy called David Sanborn. Incidentally, he's a well-known session player, and he recorded um, without needed shoulder holster, boogie pilgrim, and idle on blue moves. And we've also got Luther Vandross on backing vocals, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, next up, this is Lulu's cover. This was an unreleased track, and it was recorded during the sessions for her 1970 album entitled Melody Fair. And it eventually came out in 2007 um, on a release that also yielded her cover of Leslie Duncan's Love Song. In the quiet, silent seconds I... I turned out the light switch and I I came down to meet you in the Half light the moon left while I A guitar and I just sang some Songs out of tune and a A mantle of bright light shone Down from a don't think Bernie would have liked the uh, lyrical alternation, the guitar and I singing some songs out of tune. And as versions go, this is fairly simple and straightforward. It doesn't complicate the song, it doesn't bring an awful lot to it, aside from Lulu's voice, which is always excellent, but beyond that, there's not an awful lot to be said for it. So I'm going to move on. Next up, this is Lanny Hall's cover. She was the wife of Herb Alpert. And she was also the original singer for Sergio Mendes's Brazil 66. She stayed with them till 1971. And then this was from her debut solo album from 72, which also had Tiny Dancer on it and Love Song. And one thing I will say about this is really weird um, that they don't seem to be able to find the right chord. It's a, um, I think it's an A flat in the third line of the chorus. And it's missing that chord, it's just not an improvement. Um, but I do like the creepy sounding Moog, or whatever it is, Moog, coming out of the chorus. I don't think I've got my version yet. This is one that I've featured on the podcast before. It's the version by the Norwegian jazz singer Radka Tonef. And it is absolutely beautiful. So haunting. Both her voice and the piano playing from Steve Dobrogoch. In the quiet, silent seconds I, I 
Turned up the light switch and I I came down to meet you in the half light the moon lit while a cluster of night jars sang some songs out of tune. The mantle of bright light shone down from a Sting is one of a couple of male voices who've attempted this song. Um, his version came out in 1991 on Two Rooms. And then Elton's here on piano under the guise of Nancy Treadlight. like this version but I have to say that I don't really like the day vocal idea at all although I am aware that Elton has done this himself live but I do like Sting's voice it's very dry but very well-rounded and I think he's done a good job but you know it's a pretty basic rendition he doesn't add an awful lot to it we've only got one more left this is Al Cooper's version. So clear in my ear Like it was today Come down in time the message Come down in time And I'll meet you halfway Cooper was a studio man who could be found on Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. He played organ. He played organ and also guitar on Bo Diddley's cover of Bad Side of the Moon. This version of Come Down in Time came out on his fourth solo album, New York City or a Woman, it was called, released in 1971. Not all of it was, but this track was recorded at Trident. And it actually featured Herbie Flowers on bass. He was the original bassist for the song, for the album song. Um, and Roger Pope's also on the album, as is Caleb, but, but not on this song, um, which I quite like. I like this. I like the backing vocals that come in um, from the second verse onwards. I like what they did with the outro. I'm not really trusting in Al Cooper to carry this through, though, with his voice. It's a little bit weedy it doesn't really seem to hold up the weight of what's going on around him so yeah everything's a little bit equivocal i don't i've got to find a favorite out of this lot and it's difficult none of these versions have really got the elements that make the original so special the drums coming in when they do in the second verse and then 
the unbelievable strings that come in after the first chorus. Um, anyway, I've got to make this choice. Lois Lane, that's a no. Um, Judy Collins, it's another no because of the saxophone. I'm not having that. Lulu, I just find a bit inoffensive. Lanny Hall is not too bad, actually. He's one of the better ones. Brad Katonef, I love. I love her version. Um, Sting's version is a bit uninspired and Al Cooper's version is interesting but his voice doesn't really carry it but I think on the balance of things because of the Herbie connection I'm going for Al Cooper right next up Country Comfort and there are five of these um, for me to skip through and here's the first this is by a band called Colorado it was released as the A-side of a single on Uni in 1971 For a share, and the six old nine comes a roaring past the tree. He can leave, prepares his sermon for next week. Colorado released just two singles that were formed out of the ashes of two previous bands, Jimmy Gilmer and the Fireballs, and the Stringalongs. I can't say much more about them. I can't say much more about this version. It skips a verse. It also skips the solo. And then it, that brings it in at an incredibly lean 2 minutes 52. It's got an authentic vibe, which is probably why they couldn't face singing Bernie's uh, verse about the hedgehog, which is a creature that doesn't even exist in the United States. Um, yeah, this is bringing out the countryside a bit and probably not in a way that I'm enjoying next up this is Orange Bicycle who I talked about a bit in episode 19 I love the way they always write their own intros for Elton's songs Sweet as sound 
Run up a meal. They got a new machine. Orange Bicycle also skipping out the third verse and the solo. Um, so yeah, that's a popular choice. They released this on their self-titled 1970 album, which also had Lady Samantha on it and Pilot as well. And it subsequently came out on the B-side of their final single in 1971. This has got production from Jonathan Peel, not John Peel, Jonathan Peel. He produced that excellent cover of Empty Sky by Roy Everett that I go on about all the time. This cover's not quite up at that level, but it's not bad. It's really tight. They're such a professional outfit, and it really shows in their recordings. Their keyboardist and arranger, Will Malone, he went on to have an extensive career as an arranger. And actually, Elton and Will have worked together a couple of times. They worked on the song Help by the synth-pop duo Hertz in 2013. Will arranged that, and Elton played the piano. And then... This year, um, it was Will that conducted the strings on Ozzy Osbourne's Ordinary Man. So it's a small world. Next one, this is Kate Taylor and Linda Ronstadt again, but you can't really hear Linda as much here, um, from the album Sister Kate. skip the solo here but they do keep the hedgehog and it's got a pretty authentic country sound Kate's voice meshes well with all of the elements of the arrangement I don't really mind this at all I'm gonna skip over the Earl Scruggs review cover it's just banjo and he dials it right up to 11 the down homeness of that is off the charts and so that means that we're just left with one more which is Rod Stewart's Country Comforts from his album Gasoline Alley. episode 19 but um, there's a big overlap with what I'm doing today and I talked about this cover and also about the early history of Elton and Rod at some length in that episode so I'm not going to rehash it here I remember reading that uh, Bernie really disliked the liberties that Rod took with his lyrics for example rhyming bones with bones I really love how spare this arrangement is there's just so much space all over the place 
And then Ronnie Wood's bass playing is a real highlight. He, for all the space there is elsewhere, he kind of doesn't let up at all. Right, it's time to make my choice. Colorado, short and sweet, quite authentic sounding, um, but equally, I don't really like country music. <clears throat> so, Orange Bicycle is the most un-American version. Um, and it's got a few unusual little quirks in the arrangement and that Elton John connection that I mentioned. Kate Taylor, she's got the authentically cool Americana vibe. She's got that down. And then we've got Rod's really sort of laddie spare version. I know exactly what I'm going for. I'm going for Orange Bicycle. Track four, then. This is uh, Son of Your Father shouldn't be too challenging a choice because only one band spooky tooth has actually recorded it but weirdly they have recorded it twice to make things a little bit complicated once as a single um, which they released in june 1969 so very early with gary wright on lead vocal and then subsequently on their album the last puff that came out much later the summer of 1970 and it had mike harrison on lead but this is the single version for the latter the only real difference here is the vocal and i think his is the stronger of the two so on we go and it's slim pickings again for my father's gun and um, for quite a long time the only thing that there was and this is one of the reasons why i didn't do this episode earlier i've had it on my list of things to do for ages but this song was a big black hole because we only had a live version by amy mann um, that really didn't cut it 
Then the Miranda Lambert version came out on Restoration, and I really didn't like it at first, mainly because I didn't like the project, and so I found it very difficult to accept any of it, but I've listened to it a few times and it's grown on me. Here's a snippet of Miranda Lambert. version is authentic and it's simple it's original enough and yet it's honest to the original it's just really well done and apparently and this sold it to me Miranda's got a tattoo that reads tumbleweed so you don't get much realer than that do you I do miss the the D flat on E flat chord when sail on round the bend that bit other than that I'd say that this is a pretty solid version and the only other version came a little later than that via Ricky Lee Jones. This was from her very recent album, Kicks. Soon as this is over, we'll all go home and plant the seeds of justice in our bones and let the children grow in and play in it. Oh, Standing tall, laughing when the bells of freedom ring, and are gonna ring. Yeah. I like to know where the railroad sails tonight to New Orleans, and that I didn't know anything about Ricky Lee Jones before researching this, um, which is a bit of a terrible admission because she's been there and done almost everything over a 45-year-plus career. She was really closely associated with Tom Waits in the first few years of her time in the business. And she's got something of that smokiness and the lethargy, the world weariness in her style of delivery to this day. This version is hugely characterful you're not just getting the song, you're getting Ricky Lee Jones with a side of the song. 
It's really honest sounding and very deep, I'd say. And I personally love it, especially since it's got that D flat on E flat chord completely intact. a bit of a close run thing between Miranda Lambert and Ricky Lee Jones but I do have a favorite and it's this one Ricky Lee Jones it's just got a little bit more character in it for me we are on side two and which is going to take considerably less time by the way because there are way fewer covers here we start side two with what might well be one of Elton's best side two openers where to now St. Peter, and I'm afraid there are only two versions to choose between. The more recent of the pair is Elton's duet with Anne Wilson, who is the lead singer of Heart, and this is from her solo album Hope and Glory from 2007. I took myself a boo and I floated like if you're wondering who duetted with Randy Meisner on Elton's Strangers back in 1982. Anyway, I really like all these swoops that they're doing in the strings in the verse. I think it's a really good update on the original in the verse. But then once Elton gets involved, I'm not really feeling it. I want that weirdness to carry on in the style of the verse. Instead, it goes really flat, chucky and heavy. Yeah, I know the original song does that as well, but it doesn't have much in the way of colour. Here's option B from Sergio Mendes and Brazil 77. This is from their album Home Cooking, released in 1975. Ooh. Something for nothing I was there. 
course, Elton toured with Mendez in Europe in the spring of 1970. Those were some of his first gigs with the three-piece, and it didn't go particularly well for them, as Annette Murray has described to us on the podcast before. But obviously Elton left some sort of an impression on Sergio. This isn't Lanny Hall on vocals by this stage. It's a lady called Lisa Miller. In her youth, she was a Motown artist called Little Lisa. I think she makes a pretty good job at this. I really like what she does with the melody at the very end of the last chorus and the rhythm of the arrangement. Again, a bit like that Kate Taylor version of Ballad of a Well-Known Gun. It's got a loping, open feel to it. There's a lot of movement here, but it's fairly Western rock and roll movement. I don't hear a lot of Southern American in this. Right. It's time to choose. It's easy to choose. It's got to be Sergio Mendes. Next up, it's Love Song. And this is another very easy one because since it is in itself a cover, I just need to play the original. And so I'm going to do that. I'm not going to go through the options. And there are lots of them. Leslie Duncan released Love Song as the B-side of her 10th single. She'd been releasing singles since 1963. The single was called A Road to Nowhere. And she said that the song wasn't a major piece as far as she was concerned. It was written specifically as a B-side. And it's much airier uh, than the version that she recorded during her album sessions. And it also verges on the surreal when it reaches the vacuum cleaner solo, which was apparently because the cleaner burst into the room to try to get the band to clear off. And while that might all sound... A lot like slapstick, it's not. The whole thing is just giving you a really warm embrace. It's beautiful, and I'm going to play the whole lot of it. I mean, 
During 1967 and 1968, Leslie's top floor flat in Hampstead was the place to be. It was um, in a palatial house on uh, Reddington Road. And Leslie's room had a panoramic view over Hampstead Heath. Um, I've got to say, it's well worth doing a search for Leslie Duncan and Reddington Road to get a taste of what life was like there in what was essentially a commune. David Bowie was a regular visitor and he might be found of an evening sat with Leslie listening to her as she plays records by her ex-boyfriend, Scott Walker. Sounds awkward. And because it was Leslie that actually introduced both Scott and David to Jacques Brel. It's well worth a search. There's so many stories to uncover. There's stories of them hosting their big weekly congregational meetings like up to 30 or more people and they were pooling their positive energy together for the benefit of the rest of us and then there are stories of them attending events hosted by Yoko Ono in the park such as an event teaching people how to catch imaginary butterflies and then a story that's repeated time and time again of them all seeing ufos together including david bowie and i've read somewhere ah this is bad research sorry i've read somewhere i can't remember where that elton was a visitor as well um so yeah uh, i wonder how he fitted in around that particular scene so yeah while i could play the other covers i'm not going to i've already gone on enough (laughs) and there's so many of them olivia newton john You've got walls of Newton-John vocals in that one. Nina Van Palant. It's got a really good arrangement by Peter Knight. The legendary Peggy Lee had a crack at it. And then once again, Lulu and Lanny Hall both did it. On to the next track, and it's Amarina. And I'm afraid it's a bit of a dead loss, this one. We've only got two versions to choose between, and one of them's the Taron Egerton version that came out of nowhere on the Rocketman soundtrack. It was a bit unexpected for me, at least. And the other one is by an actor called Panhandle. Here's a bit of the Taron one. I think there's some exceptional piano playing going on here. I think by a guy called Dave Hartley. He manages to get that sense of will he, won't he, what will he do next? You know, the danger 
that's there in the piano playing that Elton managed to pull off. But the thing about Amarina in the recorded version, it's not about that piano playing, it's about the interplay with Caleb and the interplay with the rhythm section. And that's not really here. But anyway, at least there's a sense of that in the piano playing, and there's some really amazing moments here in the piano. something about the sound of this there's just so much gloss in the production i don't dislike giles martin i think he's done some really good work but this song it just sounds too rounded it's too homogenous sounding the original is just spiky as hell and that's why i love it and there are some really good things about this arrangement there's the backing vocals at the end of the choruses they really work but by the end of listening to this version I just kind of want to go back to the original to remind myself of how exactly it was that they managed to get it so right that day and Taryn is okay it really sounds like he's chewing on the words at times he's really giving them a bit of a gnawing and then there's just something about the way his voice sounds to me maybe it's natural and that's just how he is but when I listen to him what I hear is an electronically processed voice and I know he can sing and I know he doesn't need to rely on those sorts of tools so I don't know maybe it's just the way he sounds anyway good old Taron I do respect the guy for taking on the role in the way that he did and really putting everything of himself into it I respect him intensely for that but yeah I could do without this version the other Amarina is the Panhandle cover and they were a one-off session band and they covered an album's worth of songs in 1972 for Decca. And they featured Herbie Flowers on bass, Barry Morgan on drums, Chris Spedding on guitar, Kay Gardner, Lisa Strike and P.P. Arnold on backing vocals. So there's some familiar names there. And then on piano <laughs> was the man himself, Dudley Moore. And then the lead vocalist is John Gobin. And his only other credit that I can see is with an act called The Cellophane. Lately, I've been thinking How much I miss my lady I'm arenas in the cornfield oh, Riding in the daybreak Living like a lusty flower Running through the grass for hours When the rain, the rain falls down Pushing up the cattle town And she's far away from 
mind any element of this Herbie Flowers and Barry Morgan that's a big plus for me the vocals are fine they're a bit wobbly but they're fine um, the piano is fine Dudley Moore clearly knows what he's doing he's not Elton but then you know he doesn't know the song as well as Elton does but the whole thing just isn't that inspired but on the positive and this is a big positive it's a properly dynamic recording and that's what this playlist needs at this stage it doesn't need a big sodden lump like the Taran version of Amarina in the middle of side two. So moving on, we're getting there now. I've only got uh, two to choose between, again, for Talking Old Soldiers. And this is the version by Betty Levette from 2007. said can I buy you another glass of wine my dear thank you son that's kind of you it's so nice to know somebody cares these days there's so much going on I don't think nobody really wants to know I may be just an old has been the song But I know how it feels to grow old Yeah, I guess that's right you can find me here most any night Just looking round the room Staring at the walls and lights <laughs> It's funny I remember Oh, five or six years ago I'd say I'd stand right here at this bar With my friends who passed away and drink three times the wine I can drink today yep. I know how it feels to grow I know what they're saying, son That goes that old crazy broad again To make a young man go out his brains How the hell do they know what it's like To have a graveyard as a friend Cause that's where they all are, boy All, all of them It don't seem likely I'll have those kinds of friends again Betty's career has been 
upside down. Um, she started recording when she was 16, but she only really started to see any success when she was approaching her 60s in 2005. You only get the best research here, and uh, the next bit comes from a comment on the YouTube video for this song. It says that the video for the song was shot at the locker room in Detroit. She sat there in the video at an empty bar with a drink and a cigarette, looking particularly forlorn. And the comment goes on to say that this was the very bar where Betty used to go before her resurgence in the new millennium and where she actually lived the lyrics of this song. So I'd say that this song's got a little bit more authenticity with her voice compared with 23-year-old Elton's voice trying to meet the lyric halfway in the way that he had to. And what a voice Betty's got. It's a beautiful version, really heartfelt. I love the way that she's evened up the lyrics for herself. She gets rid of the dialogue in the original song. She turns it into a monologue, and I think that really helps her get the story told. Playing the piano on this version is a guy called Spooner Oldham. He wrote the song, I'm Your Puppet. So he's been around forever. Elton sang that with Paul Young on duets. And so both of them are stalwarts, and I think it's a real compliment that they're turning to this music of Elton's, because Tumbleweed really is the musician's Elton John album. So the other version of this comes from a chap called Michael Callan, who is accompanying himself on piano. Why, hello, say, can I buy you another glass of beer? It's kind of you, it's nice to know you care Oh, these days there's so much going on I know I'm seems to want to know I may be just an old soldier but I know how it feels to grow Yeah, that's right. You can see me here. Thanks to Stefan Rutkowski for pointing me in the direction of this one. I probably wouldn't have focused on it otherwise. And actually, Michael Callan's a really interesting guy to look into. Of course, I'm not going to do him any justice here in like one or two minutes, but I'll give you some sort of background. He was a New York-based musician and author, and he died in 1993 at the age of 38 from AIDS-related complications. Since his diagnosis in 1982, he became a major contributor to the foundation of AIDS activism, and he worked alongside his doctors to get key messages out there in an era and a society where tolerance and understanding was sorely lacking. But on the musical front here, I've got to say that his voice can't really compete with Betty's. There's only one winner, it's very obvious. That's where they are born All of them 
last track is Burn Down the Mission. We've got a couple of versions here. I'm not including Mike Batt's covers from his album, The Songs of Elton John, because they're instrumental. And so this is the first one up. Toto from their 2002 album, Through the Looking Glass. And if you listen out, you may be able to hear Davey and Nigel on backing vocals. You tell me there's an angel in your tree. Did it say he'd come to call on me? Yeah. But things are getting desperate in our home. Living in the parish of the restless folks I know. Everybody now. Time to put the flame torch to their keep. Burn down the mission if we're gonna stay. find some adjectives for this one serviceable safe proficient I do think the drumming is extremely proficient I'm damning them with faint praise here it's a bit of a straight copy of the original it doesn't add an awful lot but they do switch up the outro chords a little bit if you ever listen to that bit alongside Davey and Nigel it's Mike Beccaro on bass Simon Phillips on drums Steve Lukather on guitar, David Page on keyboard, and Bobby Kimball on vocals. It's really not for me. In fact, I was thinking that there really wasn't going to be a version that I would want to include, but then I had a really good listen to the Phil Collins version from Two Rooms. It ain't half bad. Mission one. Now everybody, 
Steve Winwood on organ, by the way. He, of course, goes all the way back with Elton. I prefer the instrumental sections that Phil puts together over the Toto ones. They've got some real power. Um, and in fact, he really seems to get all of the different sections of the song and how they stack up on one another and how they add to one another and take you somewhere. Each one of them takes you somewhere slightly different. And he gets that. Um, he clearly loves this song. And I love hearing his really distinctive voice doing it. It's so colourful, his voice. Soulful, really great voice. This is an easy choice. Fill all the way. So there we have it. I've made the playlist. I'm going to link it in the description. I haven't done it yet because obviously I've only just decided what's going in there. I hope you enjoy this little ramble through musical connections and so on. And I'm going to be back with a more serious look at Tumbleweed at some point. I've still got some bluesology on the brew. Don't worry about that. That'll be up soon. Don't forget the jewels box. How could we forget the jewels box? Don't forget 171170. 50-year Elton is going to be recording Madman before I know it. Hopefully by then the world's going to be in slightly better shape. Thank you for listening. Please drop me a line if you've got any ideas, corrections, complaints, so on. The email address is eltonpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the Facebook group. I'm going to play you out with Elton's recording of Burn Down the Mission from BBC TV's In Concert. And this isn't the broadcast version. This is a second take of the song that the BBC took. Apparently, just in case there was any problem with any prior footage and also to give them a bit of extra footage to use. It definitely does seem like it was the second take and it wasn't used. So uh, maybe that is the reason that they just wanted a bit of extra footage. Don't know. Um, Timing of, of this is interesting. And now we're able to nail it down a little bit more with John Higgins' new article. Um, because it was registered for copyright on the 10th of April 1970 which is actually after the first three-piece gig, so I wonder whether it was played there. I think it was. Um, Elton then recorded it with the three-piece for the BBC TV in concert programme that we're about to hear. That was the 22nd of May. And then the album version was recorded on the 2nd of June, but not obviously with the three-piece, but that was with Herbie Flowers and Barry Morgan um, as the rhythm section. So it was interesting that it was that way around. Anyway, until next time. Is that what this is? They must have a pretty bad set. So, straight, no chatting. Straight into it, right. Tell me there's an angel in your tree Did he say he'd come to call on me But things are getting desperate in our home Living in the parish of the restless folks I know